you to turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's no problem. There's plenty of them in front of you. Page 1003 of those Bibles. Uh, we also have large print Bibles if you'd like one of those and you're on your own. I don't know what page it is uh, in that one. But uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, the, the pastor here, the preacher to the Hebrews, he has paused just to kind of bring us up to speed and where we are. He's paused in his instruction uh, about Jesus as the great high priest. Uh, because he's not overly convinced that his congregation is ready to hear what he has to say next. He wants to, he wants to talk in more detail about this and, and the fulfillment of Jesus as high priest and what that looks like, but um, he's not sure they're ready to hear what it is he has to say. Um, he's going he's gonna to get back to this, some more spiritual meat, um, and then come back to Jesus as the exalted, eternal, great high priest, but... Um, he senses that his congregation has taken this step backward. They've regressed spiritually. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Um, and there's an indication, even the sermon later, that it wasn't always this way. Uh, that this group of, uh, of believers uh, had stood together, stood upon the truth that, uh, that they know. Um, but some are doubting and some are seriously questioning um, Maybe it's time to leave this identity with Jesus. Maybe it's time to, to leave the faith, um, leaving this, uh, this gospel that's been uh, shared with them. So they become dull of hearing, lazy, sluggish, to respond as those who have been redeemed, uh, who have tasted the goodness of God. Um, so he wants them to know the, the danger that they're in and approaching this uh, spiritual cliff of sorts. He needs to warn them. So let's heed this warning ourselves. We're going to read beginning at 6 verse 4 and go through verse 12. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned." And though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is God's holy and enduring word. Uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we ask for your help now as we approach uh, these words of warning. We confess they are difficult words, difficult to understand, and perhaps even more so to apply in our lives. And so we need you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. We look to you, Holy Spirit, to warn us, to comfort us 
And Lord, you will use this word to accomplish that very purpose in our lives now. And so we pray that your word would be preached with power, that your spirit would be um, so very near to us now and helping us, that you'd make us attentive um, as we consider this uh, great word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I find myself surprised, maybe you do as well, when you hear these stories of uh, deconstruction, or maybe deconstruction leading to a deconversion. They seem to be growing in popularity uh, in our time. You've got a very popular sort of celebrity uh, preacher or maybe an artist or a musician, and then they will, they will come out, and usually by way of a social media platform, and saying they are, they are leaving the... Um, the formality of the church that they've experienced. They're leaving their Christian belief uh, behind. They claim they have now a greater honesty and a greater freedom and vulnerability. Um, I think we need to, to be honest and that many of, of them in that, in that position have genuinely wrestled with difficult questions of faith. Um, and, and you combine that in what's often very painful experiences in the church or maybe long-standing dysfunction within the church and they're just primed. They're primed for that place to say, no, I'm done with this. Um, I don't need or want the church anymore. And by saying that, they're claiming they no longer need or want the Lord and head of the church. Um, and that, that's disconcerting to me. I'm troubled when I hear this type of public announcement, especially from you know, one I've, I've come to know or respect, uh, because of warnings like we've just read. A warning against walking away and rejecting the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Uh, walking away from uh, the, the gospel and all that's been made clear to them. Walking away from uh, the means of grace that God has given I mean, so there's, there's a spiritual cliff here that the preacher is he's going to come back to several times, but now he's, you know, he's putting up the, the police tape, he's putting the orange cones by this cliff, saying, church, this is where you're headed. If you go off this cliff, there, there's no going back. So I want us to look at these verses, really two simple parts, the warning and the encouragement. I know that's not very poetic or catchy, but it's, it keeps what I think can be you know, challenging language and, and concepts for us to understand. Uh, just warning and encouragement. Warning in verses 4 through 8 and the encouragement or assurance um, that he ends with in verses 9 through 12. So he opens this warning by saying that it's impossible for certain people to be restored to the faith, to, to repent and turn again to Christ. And he asks, well, who are those people? And that's what verses 4 and 5 are describing. The warning, the danger here is for this kind of person. It just so happens to be the kind of people that he's addressing. The audience of Hebrews. Those who have received the message of the gospel. They've been uh, enlightened by the truth of God's word. They've received the, the gift of fellowship in the Holy Spirit. They've identified with Jesus, likely through baptism. They spent time in worship together, feasting on God's Word. They probably served together. In fact, we don't really need to question that when we look later at 
places like chapter 10, they've endured suffering already together for being identified with Jesus. And so he addresses this beloved group of believers, at least believers in all the ways that he can discern as a pastor. Um, And he gives them this warning. If they openly reject the Lord Jesus, life as as his disciples, there's no going back. And there's a word that's, um, that's used to describe this sin, and it's called apostasy. Maybe you've heard that word before. And I think it's important that we're clear on what apostasy is, because it can be used somewhat, or overly used, maybe is the best way to say that. Apostasy is a very serious big deal, which does not make it common, at least not yet. It's not common. Um, apostasy is a willful deliberate decision to renounce Christ or to have any association with Jesus. A deliberate rejection of God's word and a refusal to walk as as a disciple. Which means only a, a Christian or one who has professed Christ outwardly can actually apostatize. Does that make sense? Uh, the, the, the unbeliever who claims no identity with Christ to begin with cannot apostatize. They cannot or apostatize. They, you know, they can't renounce what they've never believed. The hardened heart just rages against the Lord's anointed. So has this young church committed apostasy? Well, no. No, they have not. But they are in danger. Their spiritual immaturity places them at a greater risk Okay, the, the little child that's having a hard time listening to mom or dad, or the little child that's fascinated by those orange cones and doesn't know what they're there for, gets dangerously close to the cliff. Um, and verse 6 says, if they, if they step off that cliff and disgrace the Lord Jesus publicly, there's no going back. And, and, and boy, that's, that's hard to ponder. It's hard for us to consider. How can that actually be? Because in their rejection, again, openly, willfully, publicly, it's as if they are placing themselves back in the crowd that's standing there before the cross of Jesus and pointing fingers and saying, crucify him. That's what they're doing by making that statement or taking that position. And let's just think for a moment. What is the only grounds for forgiveness? What is the only grounds for repentance and the need for repentance? It's right there. It is the cross of Christ. The one-time sacrifice of Jesus for sin. If you have heard that, and you know that, and you have claimed to believe that, and then you openly reject that, there is nowhere else to go. There's no other grounds for repentance. And so you you are left with what we've read earlier in Hebrews. You're left with dead works before God. Uh, Later, again, in chapter 10, verse 26, he says, For if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That language of, of consuming and a consuming fire, the burning that comes with judgment, it actually fits into the illustration he gives us. 
uh, in verses 7 and 8. I love how th- these verses are just, they're steeped in the language of redemptive history, the old covenant that this church would have been familiar with. So we hear of a covenant that included blessings for obedience, curses for a disobedience. And you go to places like Leviticus 26, maybe more helpful, Deuteronomy 28 through 32, describing the blessing and curses that would come to God's people. Will they be faithful to their covenant obligations? And lest we think, well, you know, that was then, that was now, that was Old Testament, you know, Old Covenant, now this is New Covenant, inaugurated by Christ. We need to remember that covenant obligations remain here and now under the new covenant in Jesus. Christians who are Christians by being united to Christ, we have covenant obligations to the one who has delivered us, cares for us. And Jesus summarizes these new covenant obligations and responsibilities. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know this. With all your strength, with all your mind. Oh, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself that's what the law covenant obligations and the prophets all boil down to jesus says and to do this is to walk in blessing before god where we're moving into a a more of a rainy season i think in arkansas which you couldn't tell from the last couple of weeks but we're actually going to be getting more rain um and so when, when you see that, that rain pouring down outside your kitchen window or outside the office, you, you know that's going to be a blessing from the Lord. It's going to, to water and nourish the earth. But consider that rain as, as the gospel message that you have heard. Consider it as, as the goodness of God's Word that's just being poured out into your heart and into your mind. And if that bears the fruit of faith and it it draws you deeper into the heart of Christ, oh, that is a blessing from the Father. But if it's rejected and bears only thorns and thistles and rebellion, then that can only end in judgment. The price of rejecting and being ashamed of Jesus in this life, it will only mean rejection by the Son of Man in the life to come. Maybe you hear in this parable, or excuse me, in these verses, that the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, uh, Matthew 13 or Luke chapter 8, and, and Jesus is, you know, there's three heart conditions. Three soils receive that seed of God's word, and for some it, it doesn't grow at all, it's openly rejected. For others, that seed actually takes root. And there is a response, a, a genuine response of interest and of joy and a desire to learn more. They're at the Sunday school class. They've been baptized. Maybe they're even teaching. But in time, they fall away. They don't bear the fruit of a life that has been transformed by the Spirit of God. And there's only one soil, all four of them, one soil that holds fast to the Word and bears fruit so that the, the preacher here the hebrews warning of apostasy a false profession of the lord jesus so i want to bring this uh, closer to home here um, you hear these words and you hear a passage like this does it make you fearful does it make you worried 
that you might commit apostasy. And if that's true, if you're, if you're worried that you might turn from the Lord or publicly you know, renounce your faith, then you actually may be in lesser danger than you think. Um, to heed the warning, to contemplate the danger of rejecting Jesus, that, that actually moves you away from the cliff. Okay? These words, this warning, this is the grace of God to you and, and to me right now. Serving that purpose, you know, to, to step away from that spiritual cliff and hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to the heavenly gifts that we've been given in Jesus. So it really demands, we have to look here, right? It demands this self-examination. Am I living in obedience to my covenant responsibilities? Am I living, uh, living into the family name? Let's consider our baptism for a moment. Whether you were baptized a year ago or... 70 years ago? I think the language of, of Westminster Confession, our baptism, we are grafted into Christ. We're now partakers in, in the benefits of, of this new covenant relationship. And so the covenant obligation to love God and to love neighbor is ours. Are we doing that in greater measure? Are, are we a living proof text of our baptism? And if not, and we reject the promises of God that have been sealed, that sign has been sealed upon us in baptism, then like, uh, like the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, we'll be cut off from God's people, cut off from that blessing. Hear the weight and the significance of baptism. I think sometimes we can use this text sort of as a judging rod for others. Well, you know, is that person an apostate? How could anyone believe that or say that or post that and not be an apostate? Um, you know, that person hasn't walked away. They have run away from Christ and, uh, and I don't see much hope for them. And we need to remember that God alone knows the heart. He, he knows the sheep that are in the fold. He also knows the goats who are playing with the sheep and look like sheep in the fold but will ultimately wander I think that really brings it back to where this warning needs to land. This tells us that we can sit in the church. We can serve with the church. We can do all the church stuff and still not believe in the Lord Jesus from the heart. Teachers, teachers and preachers. Preachers can preach and not believe the Lord Jesus from the heart. This is a strong warning against a false profession or a false commitment to Jesus with a heart that's far from Him. Don't walk away from your profession of faith. Don't walk away from the one that you profess. Another question we might ask is, when is apostasy really a danger? Um, you know, when is someone who at least professes Christ more likely to be in this situation? I think the answer is, is pretty clear if we look at the context and we understand the circumstances that this early church is, is facing. Um, it is times of great trial, times of persecution, when holding fast to Jesus will cost us big time. That's when we're in the, the most danger. Because it may very well cost us our lives to profess Christ. That is nothing unusual in the history of the church. 
I mean, it's happening right now. We say we carry our cross daily and follow Christ, not just a, a piece of jewelry. This means that we, I mean, we could very well hang on one for the glory of his name. Um, now, I think that's, that's probably a little farther out for the Western church uh, right now. Um, but what if our, this comes closer to home, what if our livelihoods are threatened for the one we profess? Um, I believe the church is much closer to this in the West. Um, what if education is refused? What if jobs, we can, jobs are lost um, or property is taken away? Again, nothing unusual in the history of the church. And this is happening right now, onesies and twosies across our land, but it is happening. And so the church is really going to need to, to come together to support one another. Something we should be doing now, but I don't, I don't think we're even, we're even close to what this could look like as a church family. What will we be willing to give up? What will we have to adjust in our lifestyles in order to support a brother or sister whose property has been, because they no longer have a home or have a job? I think, you know, some of you guys are thinking, well, grab the shotgun, fill up the truck, and let's head out to the woods. Not just for hunting season, but like on a more permanent basis. Um, and I understand that. I completely understand that. I don't think that's where the, the church is yet. Um, I don't think that would be uh, really responsible for our calling as disciples of Jesus. We are not to run from this world. Um, we live in the world and the time may come and we must live much closer in proximity to one another in this world to support each other. Um, but we are in the world, um, but not of the world. We have a heavenly reward beyond measure. Um, we are in Christ. And so we are not going to turn from professing the living word of life. But church, if you believe that, it will come at a cost. It will. But even with this warning, I mean, the pastor here, he's hopeful for this congregation. I'm so thankful that he is. I'm so thankful he doesn't say amen uh, at the end of verse 8. Uh, but he gives a word of encouragement and affirmation uh, to this uh, church body in the face of persecution. You see how he addresses them as beloved? That's beautiful. It's tender. It's the love of Christ that unites them. And he is confident that God who has done a work in them is going to continue that good work in them. They share in the Holy Spirit. They've been well watered by the Word of God. He's confident of this. And they've already demonstrated a, the fruit of, of those whose lives have been changed by the Gospel of Christ. And he's just anticipating you know, more of this from them. Uh, have you ever been in that place where someone you trust anticipates more from you? Or they, they place a greater confidence in you. Maybe more confidence than you place in you. I can remember preparing for a, a solo, solo ensemble events in high school and playing the trombone. And usually a couple of months before the event, I'd sit down with the band director and we would look at a piece of music uh, to play. And I remember saying, I think it was going to the 10th grade. I sat down in the band room and Mr. Drent, the band director, put Sonata in F major on the stand in front of me. And I opened up this piece of music and I laughed out loud. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You know, you think I'm Christian Lindbergh or something like that? And he's a famous trombonist. But 
Uh, there's no way. It was the most complicated piece of music I'd ever seen in my life. Um, but I, I'd shown him I could play the horn a little bit. And so now he was anticipating more, putting more confidence, perhaps a little too much confidence. But a few months later, I played Sonata in F major. At the solo. Don't ask me to play it now. Those days are gone. Um, but the pastor is confident of better things in them than where this warning leads. And so he reminds them uh, that their hope is grounded. Every act of service uh, is, is working the, the assurance of where their hope rests. Or better said, on whom their hope rests. They'll be assured of God's nearness and strength on their behalf. Brothers and sisters, we'll be assured of God's strength and nearness and our, our ability to endure as we face persecution. Pursue Him diligently. Not being sluggish, not being dull of hearing. That, that's how He wraps in 5 verse 11. He uses sluggish here. But being imitators of the faithful. So verse 12 is actually a prelude. It's a little teaser to what we'll find in chapter 11. Um, those who have gone before. Um, for God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not unjust. You can turn from God. You can overlook God, but He does not overlook you. Church family, hear, hear the sweet encouragement of that. This, 6 verse 10 is, is a verse that's in front of me almost weekly. Um, the Lord has called you His own. He's placed His name upon you. He sees every act of love. He sees every act of service. And he sees every sin. Okay? He, he doesn't miss anything. You say, well, sometimes I wish He did miss a few things. But He loves us too much for that. Praise God, He doesn't. We belong to Him. We're bound to Him. The Spirit of Christ indwells us even now. So if he missed anything, he, he wouldn't be God. None of this would be true. So our obedience and, and desire to draw closer to him, our service to the saints of God, that is never overlooked. It's never shortchanged. God never shortchanges his children. It may feel like it at times because of our own God-given limitations and short-sightedness to his wisdom, sovereign purpose. It may seem like we're being shortchanged at times when we don't know how He is answering our prayers. But what, what we know, and again, we're not pretending here, we're not trying to explain it away, what we truly know and experience as loss and hurt or unfair treatment. The Apostle Paul reminds us that this is, this is light and momentary affliction. That this is preparation. Drawing us closer to our eternal reward. And that same apostle said he would suffer it all. He would lose it all in order to gain Christ. Be found in Him. God sees. He knows your every service to Him. And He is preparing that next opportunity to hold on and hold out the hope that is yours in Jesus. And that, that's a blessing you may or may not see in this life. Um, but your reward is imperishable. It is, it is unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. 
So I think of these deconversion stories. They're troubling to me. It catches us off guard when we see those who have, from what we can tell, stepped off the cliff in denying Christ. But I, we, we should remain hopeful. We can be hopeful that maybe this isn't the end of their story. God knows the heart. He may yet prove them to be sheep. I was reading a reflection here. Uh, author Brent McCracken uh, reflects on, on these stories of deconversion and their popularity. I want to just close with a few sentences from this. He says, To declare one's spiritual autonomy, one's unshackling from Christianity's constraints and old-fashioned ideas about sin and morality, is simply to nod along with Oprah and her vast tribe of suburban moms. To disown a God of limitations, boundaries, and wrath in favor of a God who only wants to fund your best life dreams and promote John Lennon-style love and good vibes is to join the ranks of name-it-and-claim-it prosperity preachers and the vast majority of best-selling authors in religion and faith in the last 20 years. So before you file divorce papers from the Christianity of your youth, know that doing so is in no way countercultural. I want to suggest that the far more radical and truly countercultural choice isn't to abandon Christian faith because it is maddening, difficult, out of step with contemporary understanding. The radical choice is to keep the faith. Brothers and sisters, that is our choice. The choice we must make and continue making in the fear of the Lord. Christ does not walk away. He is near to us. He holds us when we seem more than willing to walk away from Him. So we need to hear the warning, but do not fear. Do not fear apostasy because it only reveals what has always been true. The Good Shepherd knows you. He knows His sheep and He will carry them safely home. Let's rest in that. Lord God, we do thank You that you are the one who holds us, that you do not walk away from us. And help us in heeding this warning to stand fast upon the truth once for all entrusted to the saints. To hold fast to you, O Christ, who holds us to the end. O you are a persevering Savior. For this we praise you. For this we are in awe of you. We thank you, Lord. Encourage us. May we leave encouraged even as we are warned of the dangers and the trials that we will face as we follow you. Lord, we thank you that you do not leave us alone in this, but you are our shepherd who dwells us, who goes before us, and who holds us. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen.